tell you who's doing sneakers the best in the game right now. That's New Balance. The two-way V4, featuring this groundbreaking use of technology with fresh foam. It's called Fuel Cell, creating this combination that we love of rebound and cushioning. Fresh Foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort your entire game from start to finish. The upper construction features this lightweight textile that reduces weight, which we all need, I know I do, while remaining supportive and breathable. Hard to find that combo. The two-way V4 gives you the tools that you need to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way V4 at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. On this episode of the Heat Check... I have a sincere question from you all. Did anyone ever see the Utah Jazz coming this way? Did anybody see Colin Sexton, young bull, becoming this guy? I sure didn't. Oh boy, I was ready to jettison Colin Sexton. No shade to Colin Sexton. We will get into the nitty gritty of why they're the hottest team in the NBA right now. We also break down the Pascal Siakam trade. We also get to Trista's crazy-ass killer stat of the week. And we end it all with a special interview with NBA insider Cameron Smith. It's cold outside, baby. So let's get right into it, Anthony, who lives in Austin, by the way, so it's probably warmer. Drop that motherfucking beat. It should be Rihanna. All right. What the fuck is going on in Utah? Hey, you over there. I got a question for you. What the fuck is happening in Utah? Because if you haven't noticed, there are two teams lining up in the NBA right now. One makes sense. The LA Clippers, James Harden playing in a new role back in his hometown. Paul George, fully healthy. Kawhi Leonard, fully off of an extension. He's healthy, playing all the games. The other... Chris Dunn and Colin Sexton. Excuse me, what? What the fuck is going on when those two are the duo of the hottest team in the league? It's time to talk about the Utah Jazz. I've been wanting to do it for weeks. We've been busy. And I knew that we were almost at the end of our rope when I saw this. Full respect, by the way, when I say this motherfucker. Full respect goes to Zach Lowe. But this motherfucker, Zach Lowe's talking about the Utah Jazz before me. And I said, God damn it, Zach. You little... By the way, Zach's not putting out a lot of episodes right now. So he must be going through some life stuff. So I'm just going to leave him go. No one saw it coming. 
not a soul, not even Will Hardy himself, because the Jazz right now are 15-4 and in their last 19 games. They've won 9 of 10. They've won six in a row. This is the hottest team officially, statistically, in the NBA. How did they get to this place? What happened to make this team go from the bottom of the barrel to a playoff play-in team with a bullet? Let's break it down. So we got to understand the Jazz and their recent success. And it's like simple, but it's complex at the same time. Here's the simple part. It's really broken down into a three-part story. We all love stories. It began on a cold December night, the 13th of December to be exact. Jordan Clarkson for many years has been a six-man of the year, but Will Hardy this year has been making him a full-time starter. Jordan Clarkson had gone down with an injury. In his place, Will Hardy put in Colin Sexton. I think out of necessity. I don't think he was thinking Colin Sexton was a key rotation change to the team, but here we are. He was the afterthought in a trade from Cleveland that landed them Laurie Markkinen. Sexton was at one point, came from Alabama. He's got one of the most crazy games at Alabama in in history. You got to look that up. He was getting, I think he had four players, period, on the team and came back from some crazy deficit. Look it up. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it's nuts. Anyway, so in Cleveland, Colin Sexton was considered, at one point, a potentially max player guy. Ran out of leash in Cleveland, never trusted enough in Utah to get any real run, and he's a bucket. He is the young bull. There's always been questions about him and his on-court IQ, his off-court demeanor. He actually canceled on me on one of my very first episodes of this league, my former podcast. We are the, the podcast formerly known as This League. And I have no ill will towards Colin Sexton, but I was beginning to worry if he was a max guy. The reputation has followed him since he canceled on our podcast. I think that's unfair. Some people are believing that shit. I, I guess Will Hardy. The perception has largely been that he's a super talented, surly player who does a lot of the things for himself. I think, remember Kevin Love got into some trouble over Colin Sexton? I think Kevin Love threw a basketball at Colin Sexton, and he decided he was going to give the ball out of bounds to the other team. Got in a lot of hot water over that. So Colin Sexton has made better men than me even more infuriated. Before he became this emergency starter, Sexton was putting up pedestrian numbers. 13, 3 and 3, 21 minutes a game, running the second unit. Jazz were 7 and 16. That's the number. Like like 19 and 31 in the Washington Nationals. That's the number everyone knows. That's where they were at their low part. Everybody was leaving them for dead until that faithful, fateful cold December night. When Jordan Clarkson and his beautiful braids got hurt. Sexton was the subject at that point of numerous trade rumors. Then Colin Sexton pulled a rabbit out of his hat. 26-4-7 against the Knicks. And the Jazz, if you would believe it, beat the New York Six. New York Knicks. Sexton, Knicks, you see how it happened. And that was what started the entire Jazz turnaround. A light bulb then goes off 
over Will Hardy's head. He's a smart man. It only took him and seeing Colin Sexton beaten up on the Knicks one time to be like, mm, maybe I should make some changes. Since then, Colin Sexton has entered the starting lineup 22-3-5 on 52% from the field, 41% from three, and 90% from the free throw line. Insane. His assist-to-turnover ratio is up there with Tyus Jones. 3-1. to one. Twice as good as it was in the first quarter of the season. And now we have the second part of this that's harder to see. Equally important. That's Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn is a journeyman. Chris Dunn, former Portland Trailblazer guard, who I actually liked a lot. Utah was his fifth stop in eight years. In the first 23 games, Chris Dunn was nowhere to be found. He was an absolute afterthought. Averaged under four points a game in 11 minutes per game. Worst of all, he got DNPs eight times, third of the season. He was languishing. His career was headed for the G League. Clarkson's injury forced not only Sexton into the lineup, but Chris Dunn as well. O'Shea Akbaji went to the bench. Since that cold night in December, Dunn has started 16 of 19 games, put up 8, 3, and 6. Not a lot of crazy production in terms of points but a steal and a block stock stock stocks and only 1.5 one and a half I don't know why I said 1.5 one and a half turnovers in 22 minutes on average the Jazz are 13 and 3 when he starts at the point like the Jazz nobody saw Chris Dunn coming he's just the guy in the room that's sitting there and you forget he's even on that team Minnesota took him fifth overall in the draft. Never panned out. People thought he had a ton of upside, bouncing around with stops in Chicago, Atlanta, Portland, bounced around in the G League before landing in Utah. Dunn is, by all, for all intents and purposes, a great locker room guy, a great veteran voice around a ton of kids, a guy who really understands his role as well. This is what he said recently, which I find to be incredibly self-reflective. And what a lot of NBA players should probably have more of. He said, I'd be doing myself a disservice and the team a disservice if I try to go out there every night and get 20. I got to play my role. I got to understand my role. I got no problem playing it. Go out there, guard, distribute the ball. My main thing, keeping the energy alive. I get that, Chris Dunn. I get that. Holy shit, have he and Lori Markinen been good, by the way. How good? Dunn and Markinen have a net rating of plus 11.18 in 345 minutes together, which makes them one of the best duos in the league. Who would have thunk? Who? Not Will Hardy. Also, Will Hardy then moves John Collins into the starting lineup at the five. Moves Walker Kessler to the bench. Remember, Walker Kessler last year was borderline untouchable. He had rookie of the year votes, and he's now a bench guy. Because him, Keontae George, and Jordan Clarkson running the second unit is absolutely lethal. And without Walker Kessler there, John Collins isn't in the right role. And then they defensively start to struggle. Since John Collins has been starting, he has been unleashed. 13-7-1 on 50% from the field, 38% from three, 83% from the free throw line. And the Jazz are 12-2 since he entered the starting lineup. The simple part is that. The complex part is the team chemistry. This Jazz team that were left for dead at the quarter pole 
finished halfway mark over a half of over 500, the hottest team in the NBA. Since that December game against the Knicks, Utah averages 122 points per game, 30 assists, and are shooting 50% from the field. All of that is top five in the NBA. So Will Hardy was asked about it. Yeah, explain the turnaround. He said, yeah, we beat the Knicks at home. And that was big because the guys realized that if we do what we need to do, we can actually beat a good team. Then we went on the road and beat Portland the next night. And then we beat Brooklyn. So then we figured we could have some sustained success. We became committed to switching up defenses. We stopped focusing on running plays on every single possession. We started playing faster, getting into the half court and just flowing. Then that's the pocket where the team just kind of bought into everything. And that's when the team got into a really good space mentally. Mentally good headspaces. Shocking that that's important for people to be their best. Having a team that's bought in to what it takes to succeed and having a vision for what success looks like. So much of that is on team chemistry. Sexton, Dunn, Collins, Marketing, and Simone Fontecchio. We're not even talking about Simone Fontecchio who came out of absolutely nowhere. Very successful starting five. Second unit of Clarkson, Keontae George, Kelly Olenek, O'Shea Akbaji, and Walker Kessler. One of the most dangerous back uh, second units in, in the West. That's a 10, 10 deep lineup. Come on. While certain players have been elevated, others have been relegated. We know who it is, don't we? we I gave you the crazy-ass killer stat of the week with how bad Utah is when Taylor Tucker is in the lineup. He's been DMP'd 12 times since that Knicks game. And the Jazz are 12-0 in those games. Like I said, that was the killer stat of the week. He's absolutely garbage. When it reached 12, we were raised, re- arrived at crazy land. That was nine games in, and they were 9-0. Now they are 12-0 without him. All of this has brought a screeching halt to what the rest of the league thought was low-hanging fruit for a trade. Sexton, let's get him. Clarkson, let's get him. Olenek, maybe to the Miami Heat. Markinen, five first-rounders. Maybe a contender would want him. And now, crickets. Chirp, 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 chirp. This is not a team looking to trade. They're probably looking to improve. Hard to wrap your brain around, honestly. The Utah Jazz are one of the most fun teams in the league, one of the most outrageously shocking teams to succeed after what they were last year and what they were at the beginning of this year. They are fun. They are dangerous. And come April, no one's going to want to come see them. All right, let's move on. Alert. Alert. Another major trade has come out of Toronto. What? Masai Ujiri? didn't lose both wings for nothing. I was so hoping for that. I was so hoping he would leave empty-handed like he did with Fred Van Fleet because why? Because of arrogance. All that hubbub that was circulating, by the way, where Siakam told every team that wanted to trade for him, hey, don't. Don't trade for me. I'm not coming to your shitty team long-term. I'm not signing with your shitty team. I don't even care who you are. Golden State, I don't like my role there. Sacramento, don't think so. Don't think you have enough money to pay me. Dallas, nah, don't try me. Too many touches for Luka, too many touches for Kyrie, not enough touches for Pascal. It's Toronto or free agency for me. Turns out that was a lie. That was just a bold-faced lie. In the background of all of that shenanigans, all of that smoke screening, 
to teams that quite simply are contenders. Some are. Some think they are. Siakam had been back-channeling with Tyrese Halliburton, that little snake. Love it, but a little snaky. He wanted to, it turns out, be an Indiana Pacer. An Indiana Pacer. What world are we living in? There is so much to say when a star wants to go to Indiana simply because of one man that leads the league in assists per game. This is major. It's major for the East. It's major for Indiana. And it is major for small market teams. They are going to be a problem. Not just this year, but in the future. Here are the details of the trade. Pacers receive Pascal Siakam and a second-round pick. Raptors receive Bruce Brown. There it is. That's why he's getting paid $22.5 million. That right there. Jordan Nawara, Kyra Lewis, 2024 first-round pick via Pacers. 2024 first-round pick from a amorphous trade, which is the worst pick of the Jazz, Rockets, Clippers, or Thunder. And a 2026 first-round pick from the Pacers. So the Pacers really only had to give up their own two first-round picks and then one from somebody that they collected it from. Pelicans really receive nothing. They get Kyra Lewis off their books. And they have been looking to do that for a while now. So this one's personal for me. Chad Buchanan, the GM of the Pacers, the one that I always call the most under-the-radar, most underrated GM in the league, has had my back since 2012. That's my guy. I love Chad. He doesn't get enough credit. Doesn't get enough votes. Doesn't get any votes, I don't think, for executive of the year. The award, in my opinion, is useless. It's like you got to be loud in order to be GM of the year. You got to turn shit around so fast. I love Monty McNair in Sacramento, but he was loud. Sacramento came out of nowhere. Chad Buchanan is like the G in lasagna. Silent, moving in silence. And now he's figured out a way to take a team that did not work with Sabonis and Miles Turner and no real guards to Buddy Heald, Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner's even better, and Siakam. Goodness gracious, this team is athletic. They didn't have to give up any of their young guys, didn't have to give up Ben Matherin, didn't have to give up Jairus Walker, didn't have to give up Andrew Nemhard. That is what we call finesse. Buchanan said it this year when I told him, hey, you guys look pretty damn good right now. And he said, no, we don't. We, don't. <laughs> we need another star to pair with Hallie. And they found one. Yes, they did. How do I feel about Siakam? Pretty damn good about Siakam. I think his stock is way too low based on the situation that he's been in. He's averaged 25-5-5 and in his last 10 games with the Raptors. 57-51-76 and 76 shooting splits. I think he's even better than that. He shot 51% from three. I think he's going to fit perfectly for the Pacers. His agent, because you might say to yourself, well, Trista, like, is it a rental? Is it not a rental? Woj reported, this is the bomb. This is the sound of the Woj bomb. Woj reported that Siakam's agents essentially told the Pacers, we will sign your long term. Pacers have a ton of cap space. Pascal wanted to play for the Indiana Pacers. That was the top of his list. And Turner and Halliburton were at the very top of players that he thought that he would mesh with best. Are you serious? That's incredible. His agent says he wants to 
wants to sign a long-term deal. Now they can give him $60 million more than anybody else because they have his bird rights. Very smart business. As for the Raptors, this is about as good as you're going to get, baby. This is about as good as you're going to get. Three first rounds for a guy on an expiring who told every other team, I'm not signing with you. I'm testing free agency. Do not trade for me. Masai, I wish this energy from, for Pascal from Masai came earlier. Masai had a press conference. He was crying that he met Pascal Siakam at a basketball without borders camp in Africa when the only reason that he went there, Pascal, was to see his sister in the middle of becoming a pastor. That is an incredible story, but Masai has been throwing shade at Pascal since the beginning of this season. So I know that it's tough to get rid of him, but you knew that it was coming to an end. Masai says he also loves Bruce Brown, but let's be real. Bruce Brown is one of the best trade chips in the NBA. And if they want more pieces, another first-round pick, because they're very much a rebuilding team. And let's be real, Bruce Brown doesn't want to play for the Toronto Raptors. What is the point there? As for Jordan Awara, he's a big body. He's a little slow. He can score, though. Against the Hawks last year, the man put up 33 points in 33 minutes. So he will help them. I think we did a piece on Jordan Awara at one point. As for the first-rounders, Two first in 2024. One of them is probably going to be in the 21 to 30 range. And one in 2026 that may or may not be valuable. This year's draft is pretty meh. Hopefully they can package, Toronto can package both of those and get somebody back. Pascal was 27th taken in the draft. So maybe they'll find somebody from overseas. There's a lot of overseas guys this year in this year's draft. And if anybody can spot them, it's Masai Ujiri. How will this trade work out for Indy? Here's a stat to kind of give you a little bit of detail on how well it'll work. Pascal Siakam leads the NBA right now in field goal percentage in transition. Tyrese Halliburton is back, his, his teammate now, leads the NBA in assists in transition. My God, this is a perfect fit. Pascal, you don't even know what Pascal's been going through in Toronto since this team has been the way that it has been. There are no shooters on the team except for Gary Trent Jr., and they hate him. Let's be real. They hate him. He will never see space on the court he, like he will see in Indianapolis. He will get driving lanes that he feels like are a car's width because of Halliburton and Buddy Heald. He will be so much more valuable than we think 10 games into playing with Halliburton. Just like OG Ananobi is going to be used and has been used better in New York, Pascal will be used better in Indiana. Speaking of OG Ananobi, which would have been amazing and very interesting as well, there were rumors that Indy almost got OG in a trade as well. They almost got OG and Pascal. The only thing that held up that trade, according to the rumors, is that they didn't want to give up Ben Matherin and they didn't want to give up Andrew Nemhard, which I totally get because they're both very good. I think that they're a future possibly in Indy, possibly not. I also expect another trade to come. Obi Toppin now kind of gets squeezed out. Buddy Heald, I'm not sure what his role is. I think they become a package for another player of note. Of note. Watch out, Indiana fans. Watch out. They are making fucking moves. Top five team probably in the East this year, maybe even four. And listen, if the chips fall right, they could be a scary team in the playoffs. Gonna be fun. This is the best that the Pacers have been since the Reggie Miller days, and it's only getting better. 
All right, it's Friday, so you know what time it is. It's time for Trista's crazy-ass killer stat of the week. And my God, do I have a doozy for you. George Bang Bang Niang of the Cleveland Cavaliers had one of the best nights of basketball last night in his life. This man was 13 of 14 from the field, 5 for 6 from 3, for 33 points, 5 rebounds, and 2 assists, only 1 turnover in 27 minutes, and the Cavs 40-point blowout over the Bucks. You hate to see it. Dame, you hate to see it. Do you care to guess? Because that stat line is great, but that's not where the crazy killer-ass stat is. Do you want to guess what Bang Bang Niang's plus-minus was for the game? Was it plus 20? Was it plus 40? Was it plus 50? No! Try zero, as in none, as in nil, as in nine, as in not a positive outcome on the floor in a game that the Cavs won by fucking 40. That is impossible. I don't know if there needs to be a stat correction. Someone needs to step in and do a deep dive because he missed one shot out of 14, had one turnover, and had no positive impact on the score whatsoever. Is that true? I guess it's true. So we've had two incredible, unbelievable plus-minus moments this week on top of Scoot Henderson's minus 56 the other night. By the way, do not be throwing shade at my man Scoot, which was the second worst plus-minus in the history of the statistics. I think this is worse than that. They lost by 60. He was better by four than how much they lost by. George Niang, Bang Wang Niang, was negative 40 compared to the amount that they won by. The NBA is a crazy place, man. You could have a career night. This is why suits never listen to suits. They will come to Bang Bang Niang now and be like, you're just not that impactful. You can still be appearing as a non-factor on the floor, even when you have maybe one of the best moments in your career. Don't let them do you like that, Niang. Don't let them do it. All right, let's move on. We have a special guest interview now with my man, Cam Smith. He's a three-time Emmy-nominated host for Stadium. He talks all things NBA inside the association with Shams Sharanya. He joined me on my other show, BetMGM Tonight, with my co-host, Nick Ashew. BetMGM, by the way, Oaks airs most markets Monday through Friday, 7 to 11 Eastern Standard Time, and live on Twitch, on YouTube as well. Great conversation with Cam. Very insightful. Listen in. Yeah, those Clippers, 8-2 and two over their last 10. And, you know, we're making a lot of jokes, Tristan, about how the James Harden trade and how bad they were and, all oh, this is a disaster. And, whoa, whoa, whoa. Guys are healthy. They're playing games. It's almost like, huh, when you actually have your stars out on the floor consistently, you could be a pretty good basketball team like the Clippers are now. I uh, I think I'm ready to believe. I want to be ready to believe. The Kawhi Leonard extension, I think, is a good thing. Paul George's will be right behind him. Probably James Harden right behind him. They'll all be on the same timetable. Zubox has to get healthy. They got to figure out the backup center yeah. position. But, man, they're playing some good basketball. Oh, Tristan, before we get to Cameron Smith, just, just one second here. Jerry Jones has released a statement. This is all I'm only going to read you the first. I'm, I'm only going to read you the first line. That's it. Quote, 
I believe this team is very close and capable of achieving our ultimate goals, and the best step towards us will be with Mike McCarthy as our head coach. That is your owner right there. Oh, I love it. No, I can't read it like Stephen A. I won't be able to do that, Scott. I see that in the chat. I'll keep it at Jarrah, and that's all I can do. But listen, yes, am I being cocky because my commanders are turning the corner? Absolutely. Have I had nothing to celebrate in two decades? Absolutely. But the one thing I can always celebrate is Jerry Jones continuing to just let mediocrity sit. I, I, look, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. Like, I honestly, I feel for you because I know what you're, you're looking at going, why can't we have nice things? Why can't we have a coach that can get us through to, I don't know, winning one playoff game or not having Zeke line up at center? This is this is so great. It's, it's just, we're the we're the most expensive <laughs> poverty franchise that exists in the NFL. I'll just say that. <laughs> it's oh my god! It's just like you said, right? It's the Cowboys, the Lakers, the Yankees. These organizations with a great history, but they just the Bulls. They, they're worth a ton of money. Bulls, yeah, Bulls, another one too, where you sit there and go. They've got a great history, but they just like to sit there and bask in mediocrity at this point. Cameron Smith jumps on with us, co-host of The Better Angle on BetQ, also from Stadium as well. And uh, if you want to throw any shots at Trista about the Cowboys, feel free. I'll leave that up to you. I've, I've tortured her since this thing started, man. But I, I am interested, too, what your thoughts are on the Pascal Siakam trade to the Pacers because Trista and I were actually talking about this earlier, and uh, they're very comfortable in the fact that they can sign him long-term. He's apparently said from the beginning, like, that's where he wants to be. So what does that say about this Pacers team? I mean, not just this year, but really moving forward. This feels like a team that's really ready to kind of take that next step over the next season or so. Well, Nick, before I dissect that question first, thank you guys for having me back on BetMGM tonight. So it's great to be back on. Trista, you know what? It's a safe space, and I will let you know into what my NFL fandom is. So born and raised in Chicago, so naturally – and kind of unfortunately, especially like in the last 30 years, I'm a Bears fan. So all of just the mediocrity and just below average play, like I can understand what you're feeling with the Cowboys. Obviously, the Cowboys have had a little more success than the Bears, but definitely not in the postseason. But part of my NFL fandom is I have a lot of family on my father's side from Dallas and Tyler, Texas. So if the Bears aren't playing or they're not doing well, which is, you know, about 90% of the time, then I'm gravitating towards Cowboy games. So I feel you. I've been catching a lot of heat at work. I've been catching a lot of heat with a lot of my friends and family. So it's all good. Joy comes in the morning. But also, come on, man. Like, something, something has to give. Like, at some point, something has to stop with all just the failures. Oh, okay. I'm, digre I'm digressing right now. Trista, I see you getting ready to unleash. I don't want to do this right now with you. So let's move forward and talk about the NBA <laughs> and Pascal Siakam. Just woo-saw, breathe it out. So, Nick, to answer your question, man, it's really weirdly making Indiana a destination place for players. When you think about the situation with Tyrese Halliburton and what he does as a point guard, right? I mean, when was the last time you associated exciting basketball and fast break up and down basketball with the Indiana Pacers? Like, yeah, you could possibly say it when Paul George was there, but it was more of like a half-court game with him and Danny Granger when he was a Pacer. But this is a young team that's fun. They're energetic. Tyrese Halliburton is a young point god, not point guard. He's a point god mm -hmm. with what he's been able to do at that position just making sure that everybody eats on that team. And it's a big reason why they have the number one offensive rating in the NBA. So now you add in a guy like Pascal Siakam, who was so crucial to that Raptors team with that 2019 NBA championship. You add that experience and that championship pedigree, along with what he does on the defensive end, which Indiana very desperately needs help on because they have one of the worst defensive ratings in the NBA. But it's a situation 
with the Pacers now, they're pushing the chips all in. They're like, you know what? We believe in what we have. We were able to keep Buddy healed. We were able to keep Ben Matherin. We were able to keep Obi topping. I'm not sure on how long Obi stays there because those minutes that Siakam is now going to take even more, along with Aaron Neesmith from Obi topping, Obi's going to try and get out of there. But still, they have the right pieces on this team to really challenge some teams, not even just in the first round, but second round. And with the confidence that they've built already in dog walking the Bucks in the regular season series so far, you got to think that if they face off against the Boston Celtics, who we've seen them beat in the regular season before, I don't think this team would flinch. So this is a major upgrade for this Pacers team. Now, giving up three first-rounders, that's a lot. But still, getting Pascal Siakam back for the right now and for the future, of course, they're trying to re-sign them in the offseason, which I believe they will. This Pacers team is looking really, really nice, even more now. And the odds have shifted from 50 to 1 to win the East to 20 to 1 to win, in, win the East from that trade alone. The thing that's interesting to me is you look at a place like Indianapolis, which, let's be real, isn't a great place to live, not a huge market. It's pretty cold. And then you look at another team like Sacramento. Sacramento reminds me of Indiana, young point guard who can do some things. Obviously, they did the trade with Sabonis and Halliburton, but. Siakam said specifically to Sacramento, I'm not signing here. Do not trade for me. What does that say between those two teams that Siakam would choose Indianapolis over Sacramento to you? Well, understanding that he's playing on that expiring contract for this year, he believes that, you know, with Sacramento and just how their books are, he's not sure if he'll be able to get the dollar amount that he's expecting this upcoming offseason. So with the Pacers, they're going to try and move some things around and free some things up so they can sign Siakam. So I understand that from that aspect, but it's also the familiarity of the Eastern Conference, right? Like, why go over to the Valley and the West and knowing how difficult the West is? Like, you guys were talking about the Clippers and Trista. You're trying to believe in them. I'm right there with you. Like, how they played since December 2nd, winning 18 of their last 22 games. It's like, oh, are they real? So you think about them and the Nuggets. At some point, you would hope that Golden State turns it on. Um, I know we'll get to them in a little bit. Same thing with the Lakers, but you have Oklahoma City, you have Minnesota, you have so many different teams that can give you issues. And we've seen what the Sacramento Kings have issues with. It's not just about soaring the basketball. It's just trying to stay consistent. So Siakam's a guy like, hey, I will stay in the East, in his opinion, and this is why I think he wanted to go to Indiana instead of Sacramento, that he believes in Tyrese Halliburton more as a point guard than De'Aaron Fox because at least he knows that he's going to get his touches like Fox is more of a scoring point guard. It's not a knock to De'Aaron Fox, but still, if I was in Pascal Siakam's shoes, I would want to play with a guy that's freely given up that basketball and wants me to get out and run so we can create some highlights. So I think that's part of it. But then also it's just with the situation with Sacramento, what are they going to look like, right? Coming off of the offseason that's coming up after this one is done. I'm not sure if they bring Malik Monk back because he's going to command a high dollar value on the market. And so when you look at this Kings team, and especially recently with the struggles that they have, like they, they cooked themselves against the Philadelphia 76ers last Friday with no Joel Embiid. And then they go into a situation Sunday against the Milwaukee Bucks. They were up in overtime and allowed Damian Lillard to get a free run just inside of half court to have Dame time be an experience for Milwaukee Bucks fans. And then we saw what happened last night against the Phoenix Suns, almost up 30 points in the fourth quarter. And you allow Phoenix to come back, take the lead, and win the ball game? Is something going on in Sacramento that Pascal Siakam's like, yeah, I'm good. I'd rather stay in the East and team up with Fox and Buddy Hield and Ben Matherin and those guys over there and try and make some noise over here. 
Yeah, and it, I mean, clearly he had some amount of leverage, right? Because you can tell a team or have your agent tell them like, hey, I'm not going to re-sign there, and they're going to be far less willing to give up any assets to trade for somebody like that. You mentioned the Lakers and Warriors. I mean, those were two teams that were uh, – half the NBA was interested in Pascal Siakam. He brings everything yeah. to the table that any team could certainly add to their roster. But we're looking at the Lakers and Warriors right now that are just like – the little line on that 10 spot right there, they're just kind of hanging on to it with like one hand, trying to keep themselves just in playoff, uh, playing, uh, did, did, like just trying to get there essentially, right? Like watching these two teams right now, let's look at the Warriors first. Is there anything that the Golden State Warriors can realistically do? Not like a Twitter trade, but you know, a real obvious move that they could make that could elevate them into anything more than just a fringe play-in team right now. I, I can't see it, Nick. I, I really can't. And that's really the task for Mike Dunleavy, Dunleavy who's in that, that that front office for this team and making moves for them and making those decisions. Like, they're, they're strapped with cash, right? So you can't bring in some big name or make some big trade because at the end of the day, as great as Steph Curry is, as great as Clay Thompson is, if I'm a potential trade piece, like maybe just, for example, right, like a Pascal Siakam, right, who would have been nice for that Warriors group, I'm not sure on how many shots I would get within that offense, right? I mean, with Draymond Green as a facilitator facilitator of that offense, my role within that, especially with me coming in as a trade piece and I'm trying to find some type of home and really plant my feet ten toes down to make sure that I can stay here and grow something with this, I'm not too encouraged and enticed by that because Steph Curry, is, as I mentioned, as great as he is, I mean, how many more years are we going to see Steph be able to be Steph? right? That clock is ticking down. So I don't want to be in that situation where I'm stuck and I don't have anywhere else to go with the Warriors. So I don't realistically see any moves that they can make that can improve what's going on with them. They just have to stay put with what they have. I mean, we thought we saw something and then maybe try and turn a corner last Friday. And I saw that firsthanded uh, against the Chicago Bulls when they beat the Bulls, right? Jonathan Kaminga had one of his best games of the season, then turned around the next night and had 28 points, I believe, against the Milwaukee Bucks and total 52 points after those two games on the back-to-back. And you would have thought, even though they lost to the Bucks, that they played them tough and took them into the fourth quarter, that maybe Golden State is starting to show that fight. Maybe they're starting to show that defensive communication or show more communication than the lack of the Steve Kerr address that we heard last week. But then Martin Luther King Jr. Day happened on Monday, and they got smacked in front of a national audience against the Memphis Grizzlies team that only had Jaron Jackson Jr. that I'm sure if people had a contest of, hey, name this player on the Memphis Grizzlies, and you gave them a billion dollars or let them try and guess it for a billion dollars, they would not get it right. So you can't lose to those teams and embarrass yourself. So it's a Warriors group that has to lean on what their experience is, and that's championship experience to try and get themselves out of it. I know Draymond Green has missed 16 total games um, from this group, but I just don't see this team really getting themselves into a position where they even make the play in. And I'm going that far. I don't think Golden State makes the play in that is that dire of a situation for them, but they can't find an avenue of success or just a breath of fresh air to get themselves out of that rut. So I can't see it happening for Golden State, Nick. I wasn't sure, Cam, if Masai Ujiri was going to lose Pascal Siakam for nothing because it's happened so many times before, and it's like getting blood out of a stone with him. He just wants so much. The trade happens, and you have IQ and you have R.J. Barrett that are there, but largely not a ton of shooting. What's the future now, do you think, in the short term for the Toronto Raptors? The short-term future for the Toronto Raptors is, look, 
if you come to the six or if you see us coming into your arena, you know it's going to be a hell of a night. Because when you look at what they have roster-wise with IQ, with R.J. Barrett, guys, at the end of the day, when you're traded, no matter what sport it is professionally, it was basically you being told that you're not good enough for this team or we don't have you in our future plans. So now you're feeling the type of way about that. So that's the same thing that Emmanuel Quickly is feeling, R.J. Barrett, of course, and really the same thing with Bruce Brown Jr. Now, of course, I'm sure that Masai Ujiri is going to try to find some type of home for Bruce Brown Jr. Because if I'm Bruce Brown, I'm not trying to be part of a rebuild, right? At this stage of my career, I'm coming off a championship last year with the Denver Nuggets. I want to be in a position where I could possibly win another ring. So I'm sure he's talking to his agent and trying to see what's out there for him. But at the end of the day, for the Raptors, one thing that they can always control is how hard they play. And again, with IQ, R.J. Baird, of course, Scotty, Scotty Barnes, who I love, like it feels like his motor never stops. Those pieces, along with like a Chris Boucher and just the length and athleticism that the Raptors have, they're going to play you tough. And I wouldn't be surprised if this team fits into the playing spot once again. Yeah, I just wanted to follow up on the Knicks because he was part of the other player that was sort of discarded. What do you think the Knicks can be now? I think the Knicks can still be a team that before the season, guys, I thought they were not only going to be a top six team in the East, I thought they were going to be a top four team in the East. And I still believe that with New York because Julius Randle is playing all-star basketball once again. My man Jalen Brunson, who I've been covering since he was in high school, is just built differently. So he makes his team go. I think it was great news, the possibility, the rumor reports about Mitchell Robinson possibly coming back before the season is done. But you got to give some love and some credit to Isaiah Hartenstein. He's been really good at that center position for the Knicks for Tom Thibodeau's group. But you're starting to see everybody naturally fall into their positions. Of course, OG Ananobi, when he first came over to the Knicks and the win streak that they had going on, it was like a breath of fresh air for that offense. For a guy that just can cut and move, the Knicks are going to be very, very good and will be a top four team when it's all said and done. Ah, music to my ears hearing people say good thing, good things about the Knicks. Cameron Smith, the better angle on BetQL Stadium as well. Great to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on, man. I right, appreciate you guys. Love it. Thanks, Love Cam. talking hoops with Cam. All right. <laughs> the Knicks, a four seed? Oh. I'll take every little bit of success, Trista. We all, come on, we love it. Bet MGM tonight. That's all the time that we have for this episode of the Heat Check. Check back later. Check back Monday. And thanks to Cam Smith and the Bet MGM crew. Download, subscribe. Please check out the feed for past episodes and many episodes, which will drop. I am giving you these interviews. I hope that you like them. They drop unexpectedly, like icicles off my tire of my car. Do not forget to follow the Heat Check all season long. That means download. That means subscribe. That means tell your friends. Tell all of them. Tell even the animals in your backyard. Tell it to that fox that keeps sniffing around your dog's pee in the snow. Hey, De'Aaron, listen, stay away from the little Pomeranian and go download the Heat Check. And follow us on social at This Heat Check and at Trista Crick on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll see you next time.